Hey folks, join us at the Radio Carum Trivia Night on Friday the 1st of March at the Carum Patterson Lake Sports Pavilion. Tickets are only $25 per person and includes entry into our door prize and a drink on arrival. Wonderful. Don't pass up this opportunity to win bragging rights for the rest of the year and win some fabulous prizes. Tickets are still available at Radio Carum's website, radiocarum.org. We'll see you there, folks. I'm Ilana Rasbash, and this is Radio Architecture. Good evening from beautiful Bunurong country. Welcome back for another live broadcast of Radio Architecture with Elena Rasbash. It's a gorgeous night here in the Karam Karam on the ancestral land of the Bunurong people. And welcome to everyone joining us this evening on YouTube as well. We are got the live stream up and running, so we are live to you on Radio Karam, online radio and also on YouTube. It's a fabulous night. As always, if you'd like to join the conversation, please text us in the studio on 0493213831. I'll read your questions out on air, offer them straight to my conversation partner this evening and hope to hear from you. My guest tonight is Michelle Hart, a freelance interior, photographic and property stylist based in Melbourne, who helps clients with transforming their spaces at home and into their own unique abodes. Her business, Basque Interiors, was founded over 12 years ago and has evolved over time as being a creative studio, working and collaborating with brands and small design businesses in photographic and editorial styling. For homes, for sale, as well as interior decorating. Michelle curates beautiful, inspiring and considered spaces for everyday living that clients would surely love coming home to and share with their family and friends. Her background includes a degree in accounting, a cert for in feng shui, along with short courses and, sh- and workshops, all interior related. Her interest in the health and wellbeing industry has also led her to being a lifestyle contributor and writer for U-Time brand when it emerged as an Australian startup. Welcome to the program, Michelle. Thank you, Alana. Thanks for having me. So good to have you in and you're the first stylist on this program, which I'm really interested to unpack maybe some of the myths and misconceptions and maybe what people don't might not even know about styling and how important it is in helping architecture shine. So welcome. Thank you. <laughs> and hello everyone who's also tuning in. Welcome and thanks for joining us tonight. The first question I like to ask all my guests and this is this is a staple regular on the show mm. is what's your earliest memory of a building or place? Um, I'd have to say my earliest memory um, was when I was actually very, very young, um, was when my – it was actually my family home was the building and it was when – it was because my dad, my father, um, built our house um, and I remember being a part of 
of that and watching him like basically mixing up the cement, um, laying the bricks um, and just building our house and seeing that as a little girl and just being, you know, sort of amazed at what he was doing. So What a special memory. Mm, yeah. I know. A, a number of people have mentioned the construction of their family home yeah. as that first early memory. Mm. But uh, I'm sensing a real particular warmth around that the moment of your father laying in the bricks yeah. and really being on the tools himself. Yeah, yeah. He actually, his background is um, in design and tool design. Um, a lost art. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And he's, he's German, so he's very precise and... Um, yeah, wanted to design our family home. So not only design it, but but build it. So yeah, we, we lived in our family home for many, many years. And when my mum or my parents had to sell, um, it was quite a sad mm. time. You know, I think it was an emotional thing because there were so many memories in that home that my dad had built for everyone. And even when he we'd sold or he, they'd sold the house, um, it still wasn't completely finished, so he was still working on it mm. right up until the time it was going to be sold. Yeah. Design is never done, right? Yeah. It's designed down to the it's last doorknob. Yeah, exactly. And it's always evolving or changing or, yeah. Especially when you have those skills and those tools. What what colour was it? What colour were the bricks? What, what, was, the, what well, was the style like? Well, it was very 70s. So we had um, like... Uh, lino, no, we had cork floors mm. and we had pipes in in the um, foundation so that the heating was all done with water. Hydronic heating. Yeah. Very it, European. It is, yeah. it is. So our, that was right sort of throughout the house except for I think in the bedrooms, so the main living areas and it was such a beautiful sort of heat um, to have that underfoot. Um I remember the kitchen blind being really florally, like lots of bright yellow and orange and um, all the kitchen like right on trend back in the 70s. Classic grandma's curtain, right? Yeah, like like brown, mission brown right through the kitchen. So um, – and then, of course, in the bathrooms there was um, Italian, Italian tiles and, yeah, yeah. Did you photo document it before they sold? Um, yeah, well, I actually I styled their house for so. help them, yeah, sell, you know, style it for sale. So it was interesting, yeah. And how did you find your way into design and styling? Um, well, I'd have to say I. It was sort of an organic process of I married a builder. Or actually, when we married, he was a he was a carpenter, so not yet fully licensed. And um, our first home, we spent renovating because it was basically not falling down; it was livable, but needed a lot of work. So all of our spare time was was you know fixing up this house, renovating, um, and we bought like a decent parcel of land. So we ended up subdividing our block and then and then building. Um, another house in the back and selling that. So we actually started developing um, from an you know an, an early age in it, or early time in our marriage, 
And I think I just fell into, okay, like my husband was building and renovating and he was like, right, you need to choose the colours and you need to, you know, what materials would, you know, would work here. And so it was kind of my role to do that. And then when we built um, or developed a new um, house in our backyard, um, that was my job to to choose all those finishes. And I actually really enjoyed it. But I was working um, in something completely different at the time. And then um, when we went to sell, uh, like, the houses, um, I, I was styling them. So that was that was my introduction into this world. And um, so it sort of started from there. But I think after having children and um, going back to work, I thought, you know what, I don't really love what I do anymore. So... What can I do? You know, what what really sparks my interest? What, you know, what do I want to learn? What new things do I want to try? Um, so I ended up studying uh, feng shui and I was just fascinated at um, how, like, your home environment, the spaces we live in, the spaces we work in, just have a really direct effect on on our health and our well-being. So that was really um, eye-opening for me. Is that a key feature of your business? Is that something clients come to you for? Well, is it in demand? It it is in demand, but it's more. It's just more something that I've. Um, I've evolved with it over time because after I finished doing that course, I I didn't particularly want to be a feng shui consultant, although I did all the principles um, that I'd learnt about really made sense to me. What I found really interesting was um, how um, homes and spaces hold energy. Mm. So that to me was just very, very interesting because, you know, when you when you walk into a space and you can feel something. Something's not, just not right. It's not yeah, right. You're not happy. You're not comfortable. Yeah, yeah, there's just something not going on and it's not, you know, it might not be the colour of the room or the, you know, it's all the furniture or whatever. It's just, it's the energy. So what's been going on in this space or whatever? So clearing energy out of homes um, and also the feng shui principles of um, positioning, um, using the elements as well to kind of, you know, set up your home so that um, the chi can flow through and um, it's, you know, create harmony. These are timely lessons ahead of the Chinese New Year coming up very ah, soon. Ah, there you go. Um, yeah, so I've, I've sort of, I've, I've taken some of the, of what I've learned and applied it to um, my own work and yeah and I just feel like I've adopted that because that to me um, how your space feels when you live in it how you live in, in, in your home in your space um, and how it makes you feel um, is really important to setting it up the right way. Mm. Do you find that you use more feng shui when you're working with clients to style their permanent Home, their permanent residence, yeah. versus when it's just for sale. That's that's a different headspace. It's different, yeah. Yeah. So so styling 
is sort of a misunderstood discipline and there's just diff- many different um, types of styling. So uh, property styling, styling homes for sale is, um, is different to uh, say photographic styling or styling interior decorating for people who are living in their homes permanently. Um, so I would say styling your home for sale is more about appealing to a lot of people. Um, you would definitely be choosing your target market, whether that's a young family um, or an older couple um, or, you know, someone who's downsizing or upsizing. And then you would set the home up in accordance to how you think they would live um, and what would appeal to them. Can you bust a myth for me? Yeah, sure. I heard that people with the style for sale Mm. deliberately make some sort of mistake so that prospective buyers Mm. start correcting it in their own heads and becoming emotionally attached when they're there for inspection. So something's not right or something's off and then they'll walk around and say, oh, but I would put my TV there or I would put my picture there. Oh, well, I, I haven't actually heard of that. Oh, okay. No, I haven't. But So it's a rumour. It, it is a rumour. The jury's out. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't know about that. But, um, but And the no TV rule? Is that also there's no televisions? in When you're styling a home for sale? Yeah. It, it really depends. Um, it, yeah, I think that's one thing that's as we're evolving and it, styling is becoming much more like, you know, once upon a time – who, what do property stylists do? Why do I need one? Now, anytime you want to sell your house, you you know, it's like a given. You just bring the stylist in. And so I think it really depends on, on the stylist um, and the company. But as we're evolving, a lot of the time now, the TVs aren't essential. They're not seen as part of styling. Um, yeah, you could just put a nice piece of art there instead and know, well, that's where the TV would go. Mm. Um, but yeah, styling your home for sale is all about creating an emotional connection to a buyer, um, and it needs to appeal to a lot of people so that you're going to have interest, um, from a lot of people who obviously want to fight for buying a house. Yeah. Whereas styling for photography, you're trying to show off the best bits of architecture and we we said this to each other in soundcheck that actually styling... For I guess Instagram architecture, architecture mm. that we can only interact with through photography or on social media, be mm. it private or in remote destinations, mm-hmm. or it's just the nature of the project. Mm. That's the only way it almost exists sometimes. Yeah. That's the only way some people can relate to it. Mm-hmm. And so without the stylist, without your work, mm. that image mm. that for want of a better word kind of makes or breaks it, or Absolutely. can really save the day or save the project, the portfolio, really really show off mm. the best moments, can't exist. Oh, yeah, I fully agree. Um, again, I think um, the discipline of styling has been misunderstood or, or not completely... Say more. In what way do you think uh, oh, well, that misconception? The misconception, because I think... When you talk about an interior designer, an architect and an interior designer have a role in designing uh, a building or a home and then the stylist 
the stylist role for, well, especially for photography, is to come in sort of at the end um, and be part of a collaborative team. So you're working with a photographer, you're working with an architect, a designer, and your role is basically to create um, a story, be part, you know, weave a story, create a mood, um, and it's about showing the detail of the actual building. So by placing objects or you're sourcing, you're sourcing the objects, so you, you're spending a lot of time um, doing things like sourcing props, you're sourcing um, furniture maybe and you're organising the transportation of all those items to where you're styling to the home or to the building and then you're, um, yeah, telling a story by placing everything so that the photographer can capture in the right light, that's their role, um, to, yeah, to highlight the best, the best parts of, of the building or the space. I've heard rumours before where the house has been handed over to the client. Yeah. The client's moved in yeah. and then they do a photo shoot day, send the client off to a winery, mm-hmm. long lunch. Mm-hmm. The architect clears out yep. the whole house with removalists, moves mm-hmm. all the client's furniture out. Yep. The stylist comes in, yep. redecorates the whole home, yep. does the eight-hour photo shoot, yep. reconfigures it, Yep. client comes back. Yes. After, at the end of the weekend. Yeah, that's that's that has happened and that does happen for sure. I think because maybe, again, when you're working with a group of people, um, it's a collaborative um, sort of project. There's always someone that's going to be like a creative director. So they've got an image in their head of how they want this to look when they actually capture it in an image or in a video. So often the people, the occupants of the home, maybe their furniture doesn't work, maybe their art is not exactly how the designer or the architect um, envisages the space to be to create that 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 feeling or that emotion um, when they capture the, the image. So you're right, a lot of the times it's like, okay, we're paying you to go on this extravagant you know, weekend away to this amazing winery and, you know, this, you know, wonderful restaurant and you just have a great time and we're just going to move all your furniture out and then, yeah, reassemble it all again after we finish the the shoot. It's certainly done with uh, collaboration and permission, but a lot of architects, it's all teamwork and and the client knows that that's also sometimes part of the deal, particularly Mm -hmm. with your client architect agreement. Yeah. Um, because the building is the architect's intellectual property, they yeah they, they t- have to be able to have the opportunity to document it and, to, and to photograph it. That's right. Yeah. But on the flip side, mm. I've also seen these kind of quite wild and amazing, crazy images. Once I had to do a double take mm-hmm. of the house as is, lived in, Sistema Tupperware conten- containers on the bench mm. in the kitchen photos, leaves as they've fallen in the garden. Uh huh. you're horrified wow okay yeah yeah well Mm. (laughs) it's it's a different it's a different aesthetic i guess and um Mm. some would say it's maybe the true representation of 
the that work yeah and maybe at a lower lower budget or mid-budget projects mm. perhaps the work of the architect is sort of anchored in being able to show people the reality of living the what it what it is to actually dwell not not in a display home, not in a perfect image. Yeah. What does life look like in this house? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to find the balance, I think. It's it's like, yeah, you don't want it to be like so minimal that it feels sterile and that nobody's actually living here. But you don't believe the image. Yeah, you don't you don't believe it. But then you don't want it to be like has someone forgotten to do the dishes or, you know, <laughs> take all the coats off, you know, the, the sofa over there? Um, yeah, you just got to find the balance of, you know, you want to create a warm feeling. So, you know, you, you, you want to document the detail of the building or of the space, but you also want to, you know, make it look really warm and inviting and really, really pretty. I guess the clutter is, is not there for a sense of calm or yeah. doesn't, doesn't help that experience. Mm. Perhaps it's just a fad. Yeah, yeah. How have you found that social media has influenced your discipline? Oh, wow. Social media, it's like just turned it up, the, you know, turned it up a notch because there's just so much content now out there. Um, it's almost like, print media has really suffered or it's not as viable anymore as what it used to be as in the, the traction that it holds um you know you, you'd always want to get your magazine and have a look through it but now it's like social media because that's where everybody's hanging out right so everybody's always on their phone and they're always looking at so yeah creating beautiful images and content is just like, uh, you know, everyone's got a, a, a phone now, so everyone's got a camera. So, yeah, capturing, you know, any part of your home or anything you're doing, creating videos, um, it's really changed how people, you know, are, I say, probably styling or, yeah. Has it impacted your work personally? Have you found that uh, your observing what's happening more and then reacting to that or yeah it I feel like it it sort of dictates where and what you're meant to be doing so Mm. whereas um I feel like at the start when social media started so say Instagram which is the big one Um, A lot of creatives were on social media and on Instagram um, and it was social media. So you were just connecting with like-minded creative people and you were admiring what they were doing and you were, you know, sharing stories and making new friends online um, because, yeah, you were interacting with like-minded people and now it's turned more into – because. You know, big business have, has found, well, everybody's hanging out there. So we can sell to them. It's all about marketing now. So everything is, everything you see now is, is you know, you're being marketed at and um, it's just advertising. So it has changed. Um, and I kind of, at, at when it first started, I was, I found it very um, inspiring. <coughs> Excuse me. And being creative, it was, yeah, but I've, feel now it's just a little bit too down the other path of everything everything's marketed at you mm. and 
So people can be more concerned sometimes about the aesthetic than the experience. Yeah. Yeah. How is that crossover between photo styling, mm. which for all intents and purposes isn't real? Yeah. Right? It just it's yeah. it's an image. It's just smoke and mirrors. It really is. When that photo styling it crosses over with working with a client who wants to live in the property and mm. it's um, mm. for their dwelling, for their home. Mm. And they're coming to you with an image that mm. is essentially fantasy mm. and that's affecting what they want. Mm. Have you, have you ha- had that collision of uh, so- social media affecting the expectations of your clients? Well, I find that it can be a lot of, you know, oh, we like this, we like this, we like this. It's more about like what's on trend mm. at the moment. So I think that's where people get bamboozled and they see so much of what's on trend at the moment and then that sort of guides them, you know, like, oh, you know, this is what everybody's doing so, you know, this is how I would like it to be. Um, For listeners that are looking to style their own home, mm. what what would you say to them? What, what questions should they be asking themselves or what, what things should they keep in mind? Um, I would sort of say when I meet with clients, I'm always asking them like, you know, how do you want, you know, this space, this room to function? Like, how do you live? Like, if, if you're a family, you know, the sofa, like, are you going to be lounging on it? Um, are you going to be sitting upright? Is it more for conversational purposes or is it for watching TV? And do you have a shedding dog? Exactly. Like, you know, how many kids do you have? Do you do you have a partner that, that drinks red wine and spills it all over the place? <laughs> do you... Um, have you know pets and and so the practicality of living in in your home um, versus you know a beautiful Instagram photo where you know does anybody sit on that couch? You don't live inside a picture, and that's the difference too with styling for sale because ideally you're styling homes that actually um, are empty, as in nobody's really living there, but some some people do. Uh, still stay in their home during the campaign but it's it just means you're setting up a house to look pretty but nobody really is living here you know like they're not using the furniture they're not um but when you're styling and doing interior decorating for people who are living in their homes it's really important that that the the spaces that they live in are functioning well and they're practical for their purposes and for their families and but and then they also need to look good, you know. So it's just trying to get that balance. So asking people, um, you know, what colours do they like? What, you know, what colours are they drawn to? What, what style um, do they know what style they are drawn to or they're attracted to? Um, sh- maybe showing me images that they, they do like and then sort of uh, getting an idea of what their style is. But what's important, I think, for people is that that their homes tell their story. Mm, absolutely, and that that they have things in their in their home that are reflective of their story and are meaningful to them, because that's what makes a house a home, um, and that's what evokes memories and feelings when you surround yourself with with things in your home, objects or whatever that have meaning to to you so to your story coming back to that Mm. idea of feelings and energy Mm. and feng shui Mm. 
you also want to create an atmosphere, right? You want to yes. create create a, a sense of happiness or, or of calm or mm. of, uh, comfort, intimacy, or whatever the core feeling is that the, the client is going for. Yeah. So perhaps listeners should be asking themselves, well, what's actually going to make me happy? Exactly. What colour makes me happy? What, yeah, like what an, do I want to see? And, and you know what? Interiors actually does follow fashion. So um, if you think about like sometimes I'll ask a client, you know, what colours do you like? Oh, I don't know. I really haven't thought about it. Oh, you know. Do you open up their wardrobe? Yeah, it's like, you know, have a look at the clothes that you wear day in, day out and that'll tell you what colours you like, right? Um, or I'll ask a client, what colour do you like? I like green. And then I'll look at them and they're wearing all green. It's like, of course you do because you're dressed in green. Um so, yeah, interiors can sometimes follow fashion um, and when people, you know, haven't thought about it, all they have to do is look at their wardrobe and then realise that they're the colours that they're drawn to and would like to be surrounded by because they're wearing them every day. Um, yeah. Have, have you heard of dopamine dressing? No, no. It's when people wear crazy bright colours, bright pops of pattern. Mm-hmm. In order to elicit a spike in dopamine, yeah. that, that it makes them happy, so they're, they're dressing extra happy. Right, so it evokes that. Yeah, okay, that, I get it. That feeling and, and emotion. Yeah, well, that makes sense. It's like, yeah, like colours can evoke different different feelings in people, and yeah, that's why it's a big trend across social media right now that that dopamine dressing style. But I, I wanted to ask. Anything you're forecasting for the upcoming year <clears throat> as we um, move into the really busy time of 2024? It almost feels like January, everything up until the long weekend at the end of January doesn't count and then everyone gets back in, in Feb. Yeah. So we'll Yeah, we're like right into like the year starting properly now, aren't we? Um, I've noticed um, what's evolving in terms of um, colours and is that there's more um, like bolder jewel tones out there at the moment. So like... Um, like an emerald green. I was just going to say, you read my Ruby. mind. Ruby. Oh, there we yeah. go. Like, like emerald green, um, magentas and yeah, ruby. You're like wearing reds. a beautiful Prussian blue, almost sapphire yeah, blue. Yeah, that, that sort of bold, deep colour. Um, teal, like... And so those bold colours are then sort of paired with... Um, more earthy tones and rusty colours. So you've got your earthy colours, but then you've got your punch of bold colour as well. And I'm fi- and I'm finding now that people are moving into like the darker woods over the the lighter coloured. Well, woods. it's back. The dark timbers you know, have come back. It's around. like fashion, right? It just kind of goes around and it'll come around again. So Scandy blonde birch is out. Yeah. Well, I don't think I wouldn't say it's out, but I think it's just. It was just in and saturated everywhere and now we're feeling – we're moving into like more warmer tones. What like, do you think about mixed timbers? Um, it's – as long as it's not like a jarra with a with a, with an oak or something like really, you know, different. But I think people really get hung up on like all the, the timbers have to match exactly and they actually don't. Like I think it's – again, it's like your home tells your story. I think if it flows okay and, it, you know, it, it doesn't have to be matching exactly. It doesn't have to be the exact same timber everywhere. You know, your table doesn't have to be the same as the floor, as the same as the chair leg. And 
Um, and heaven forbid, not from the same suite. Oh. Don't buy the dining table a no, buffet we don't want and the matchy. coffee table matchy-matchy. Yeah, it's don't like, do it, listeners, don't do it. Like walking into a showroom and just putting the showroom furniture, you know, everything displayed into your lounge room and, yeah, that's not – you don't want that either. No. Yeah, you want, you want to mix things up and have some interest because that's what you're – when you look around a room, it's like your eye wants to take in all the details. So, you you know, just scanning around. So you've got to have some some interesting... Somewhere know. for your eye to jump to. And yeah, yeah. And that could be through like different pieces, through shape, pattern, um, size. Yeah. What have been some of the other key moments in the evolution of styling as a discipline over time? Um, oh, what do you mean by that? How, how, how has styling changed in your experience or even in your work specifically? Because, of course, styling is creative. Every, every stylist has their own I think way yeah, they like to yeah. do it. How, how has your work evolved perhaps? Oh, I think when I first, first sort of started to style, I thought, you know, you just needed to do – Every every little sort of surface had to have something on it, and now it's it's become much more restrained. Um, so I think it's almost like less is more, um, and what you do use and place kind of needs to have more of an impact rather than you know having a whole heap of little things together. It's like maybe one nice object or something placed. So it's more restrained, I think, or more refined. Mm. How have you found that you've been okay. able to express your personal or style, even though you're connecting with what the design directive is mm. on that shoot day, for example, or yeah. through the process? D- d- would you say you have a, a styling style? Pardon, pardon the double entendre. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you do because you kind of just fall back into, oh, this is how I would make a bed. But it's also with a stylist you – it's really important to listen to the brief of the client. So even though I might want to go in and do things this way, it's I've got to sort of make sure that I'm not, you know, I'm part of the story but I'm not the whole story. So, um, yeah, listening to the client and seeing what, they design, what they've designed, whether it's an interior designer or an architect, and working with them... Um, and, yeah, coming up with something that's going to make everybody happy. So it ticks all the boxes. But usually I guess some people will come and work with you because they like your style, your personal style. Um, and then it's about, you know, working in with them and, and what their style is too. So it's a bit it's, – it's very collaborative and, yeah, it's a lot of give and take. Listening and collaboration, right? It's the key ingredient of <laughs> yeah. all good work. It is, it is, because everybody has um, a part in the project and and at the end of the day you just want your client to be happy and and to do good work, right? So as long as you're hitting the brief and um, and going in there with good energy, then it's, it's all good. What do you think makes a timeless <coughs> choice or a timeless design selection, a timeless styling selection that versus just, you know, throwaway Instagram trend. Yeah. I think it's like quality. 
looking for quality, waiting for the right piece and not rushing into, you know, just getting, like you said, just to throw away something that's going to, you know, we'll have for a year and then get rid of it. But something that you know is timeless um, that'll be good in 10 years or 20 years and even even with furniture, like even a sofa, um, like the design could be just really simple. But if it's well made, um, in 10 years after your kids have trashed it or the dog's trashed it, you can have it recovered, you know, and it's brand new again. So that's timeless. Um, sticking to your own style and what, you know, what you like too, um, that then that's not going to go out of – it's not a trend but it's like it's not going to go out of, you know, you won't not or dislike it in, you know, 10 years because it's, it's got meaning to you. Yeah, so it's something that comes from deeper, from mm, deeper within. Yeah, yeah. So – and then there's a line between, you know, keeping, keeping things um, that can just clutter your space but really taking note of – some things that do have deeper meaning to you and that are special. It could be a piece of art, it could be an object, it could be something that was being handed down to you um, that you've inherited or anything. So, Or it could just make you stupidly happy. Yeah, like, you, yeah. Or it could, you know, bring back memories of a trip you took or anything. So, yeah, something that makes you just really happy, like the dopamine effect again, <laughs> so... Yeah. Dopamine dressing, but for your house. For your house, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Why would, you know, some people might, um, as you say, there's a lot of misconceptions about styling, and mm. some people might misunderstand the difference that the work of a stylist is versus what an interior designer mm. does. Could you please maybe unpack that for us a bit? Yeah, okay. So, an interior designer um, is basically. Uh, working for a client and to create um, the interiors of a home. So that could be, you know, like the kitchen space and all the all the the cabinetry, um, and and you know, like the the bathrooms and just yeah, creating all the structural interiors of of a home. Selecting selecting the materials. Um, the, you know the flooring, the tiles, all that sort of thing, um, and working with trades or project managing um, trades and working with a builder to make all of that come to life for a client. Um, so that's designing your space, but styling is well, what I think is um, is then adding sort of like the decoration, the the pretty, you know, you come in at the end and you, you pretty it all up with maybe furniture or decor or art. Um, so, yeah, that's that's definitely, I think, the difference. It's like, And not all interior designers do styling and not all stylists can help with your interior design. Yeah, exactly. So some interior designers, and I know quite a few because I've worked with quite a few, they don't want to know about doing all that stuff, all the, you know, finding the right sofa and the rug and the art and the, the lighting and, you know, the lamps and stuff, they – and the bedding and all of that. They just want to do all the 
the hard finishes and the the rooms, you know, how do they function? They've designed them so that they work well for the family and set them up so um, people can live in these homes really well. But the stylist is all about creating that, the layer of, you know, all the layers of, you know, you know, comfort and feeling happy and you want your space to support you and um, make you feel good when you live in it. So, yeah, we come in and do all the, the pretty things at the end. It's interesting to be able to break it down and dissect the process mm. further for our listeners into these components. Yeah. Because sometimes their experience or the role of an architect on a project will be absolutely everything down to the fabric selection and the cushions and the yes. lights and the doorknobs, absolutely everything. And yeah. We, we've worked on projects, we've done absolutely everything. But sometimes it is broken down or the client may not need all of that. They might not only need a little bit of help in, in mm. certain sections. Mm-hmm. So it sort of comes to this conversation that mm. architecture is everything and the, the process of architecture is actually a long one and ongoing and even continues yeah. yep. after you maybe no longer even working with the architect. Yeah. Say, say your budget only allowed until a point and then mm. some time passed and you decided to get a stylist on board, for example, mm-hmm. that, that that process is, is longer and the life of the building is mm. longer. Mm. Yes, that's true. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's right because you, you, it's not so easy to change that, right? But, but when you're styling, um, those, those elements that you bring in can be changed a lot easier. So like if you want to change your curtains or – you know, the colour of your cushions or um, a new rug or something. Like by just by changing those elements then um, you've given your home a new a new feeling or a new colour palette or something like that. But, yeah, the, the, the structural element um, of a building, the architecture and the design of it um, is, you know, there for the long haul, isn't it? Yeah. I, I want to circle back to a point you made at the beginning of our conversation where you mentioned that it was styling was a role you almost fell into mm. while your husband was a builder. Mm. Have you found that the, your experience in, in, the, in the profession, that there's a gendered element to it, that there's a lot of women who are styling or that the perception is somehow that it's more of a woman's job? Well, no. A lot of the top stylists are actually, in fact, men. So, yeah, that's awesome to hear. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, predominantly there are probably more women um, as stylists, but there are also quite a lot of men doing styling roles as well. Yeah, fantastic. That's that's really great to hear. Yeah, that, and they do it really well too. It's almost like a, a ancillary satellite discipline that works in collaboration with architecture mm. and works in collaboration with architects and that you're not identifying the problems that certainly my industry comes up against. Mm. And we see a lot of issues with gender equity mm. and we have amazing peak industry bodies like Parla that are working to combat it and research it. Yeah. And really across architecture, across interior design, urban planning, we're trying to really deal with these big systemic and structural issues. Yeah, yeah. Of how women are perceived even as professionals. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a complete relief yeah. to, to hear that, <laughs> that that orbit does end at some point and that yeah. there is hope on the horizon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, and 
allied disciplines are all being creative and really respecting each other. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The value of good design mm. can mm. really make or break your work, can't it, sometimes? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, do you have any memories of when you've come into a space and the architecture and interior design was just mm. begging for your styling that it was just it was just a perfect moment? Well, I can tell you this week um, – I'm going back to styling homes for sale now. This week um, I actually styled a home for sale in Beaumaris and it was for um, a woman who thought it was going to be her forever home. She, I am presuming, is in her maybe late 50s. She She had designed the home with an architect for, um, yeah, for her for like until the day she basically was going to leave this earth. It was so clever. The design of her home was very, very clever and you could see that she had really thought about, I'm going to be in here for the next 30, 30 40 years if, I'm, if I you know, have a good long life. Um, and every sort of detail had been thought about zoning off spaces, um, having a lap pool down the side of the house for exercising, um, all the lighting. It was just really, really clever. So that sort of sparked my, you know, interest and of – and what you were saying about good design. Like – and then earlier this week too I was speaking to another lady who was building a house um, in Point Lonsdale and she's building a – passive home and sort of explained to me um, all the features of this house and how excited her architect was um, to have this home completed because it's still in the process of being built. And I thought, wow, how clever. Like this is, is it, like, this is where we're heading. Like, you know, like really thinking about how we're living and what's, you know, sustainable, what's, um, you know, good for comfort, um, what what looks good but also, like, works really well with all of our, our elements. Um, so that to me is, you know, thinking about good design before, before you even start, um, you know, the whole process just really really thinking about how you want to live in this in this home um what how you want it to function and um what you need it to do for you to live comfortably so Mm. yeah i'm still feeling warm and fuzzy after your your anecdote of your story of the the lady who thought it was going to be her her oh i know so the story the story was why she's selling it is because um her adult children one lives in America and one is in Perth and the daughter from America is coming across to Perth to live. So she's moving to Perth <laughs> because her whole family's there. And, yeah, she's like, well, they're all over there. So I thought I was going to be here until my last days. But anyway, but some I was like, oh, this house is on the market. Wow. Stunning. 
<laughs> this is going to be a goodbye for someone like that. She's really thought about everything. So mm. that's sweet. That's that's a very sweet story. A very yeah. special reason to part with a yeah. beloved family home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But also, someone will be very lucky. Oh, absolutely, because it, it, it's it's good design, and that's going to make people feel great when they live in live in a home that's well designed because I've also been in a lot of homes that are not well designed and yeah and, and you're trying to remedy the situation really aren't you with well, the styling yeah exactly um yeah you're right like so yeah the rooms are not you know um proportioned right or so then yeah that's when you have to do your magic and the smoke and mirrors of you know setting things up where, but yeah, it goes back to that question you asked at the start. Where yeah, you probably are right. Where yeah, stylists do will will set up something because the house isn't well designed, um, just to kind of make it appear that oh, that's where the TV would go. When in fact, it wouldn't really. Um, just because it's got to go on the market and it's, you know, for sale and you need to create that interest and the, the emotion attached to a home. So, mm, yeah, good design, bad design. Mm. Get the good design right first, get the good <laughs> architecture right. Well, you know what? That, so when I will work on a house that is well designed, it's such a joy. We, it just feels so much easier and better. You feel excited about going in and doing those smaller touches or the, you know, the styling bits and pieces because it is well designed, right? So it just seems easier. It seems to flow a lot easier. I want to ask you, how do you personally define good design? Good design to me is um, like a space that is, that functions well. Like it has everything you you need in placed in the right in the right spot um and everything flows well you know there's it's not um the experience of actually moving through that home oh, or yeah. that place is natural it's yeah natural yes intuitive and natural so it doesn't like i could probably say you know more about bad design it's like when you walk in somewhere and you go why did they put that there i don't understand why that room is there. Like That's why? so funny. People always know why when they don't like something yeah. but it's hard to say what they do and, like. And that's the same with my clients too. When I ask them a question, they're like, oh, I don't really know. And I go, well, tell me what you don't like. What do you like? Oh, I don't really know. What don't you like? Oh, well, I don't like this and I don't like that. Okay. So then. That's a start. You can cross that off the list but now I know what you might like, you know. But it's the same, yeah. Like you'd walk in and you'd say, that doesn't make sense. Why would that why would they have put that there or why is that room, you know, why is the laundry at the front of the house? I don't get that. Just, you know, things like that. So. Hearing the washing machine go off when you come to ring the doorbell. Yeah. Well, that's awful. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, good design to me is just, yeah, the the, the natural flow um, and, it, and it, again, goes back to energy. It feels good. It's an intuitive thing where you can't maybe sometimes always – name it but you can feel it so yeah you know when you found it you know when you're in it yeah like natural light to me is important that's part of good design I like lots of natural light it makes me feel good you know so I think it's you know also goes back to what's important to people um 
also contributes to what is part of good design. Important to not let the market or the smoke and mirrors of sales styling <clears throat> sway mm. people away from what mm. actually makes us human and what we need. Mm. Light, air, mm-hmm. little bit of green. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So biophilic design, that's become a really big thing, I would say, over the last, I don't know, maybe five to ten years um, because now we are more living, you know, more and more sort of condensed into cities where we're urbanised and it's like bringing nature indoors or inside our homes, like making that part of, of our design. So I find that really important, um, especially if you're living in, you know, in the city, just to be able to have your, your greenery around to make you feel like you're still with nature. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And not, not considering that as separate to ourselves. Yeah, exactly. That we are, we're part of the natural world. That we're yeah. to find ways to be connected to the natural world. Yeah. In, in healthcare architecture, we also talk about salutogenic principles, mm-hmm. and and the idea of how that environment can connect you with nature and help you heal better and faster. Yeah. Have it, all that recovery. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, like in hospitals, I think patients who. Um, a place near windows who have a beautiful view of trees or a garden or something seem to, you know, feel better and get better quicker than those that that don't, you know, that are not in a room or can't see outside. So, yeah, it's it's really important. That's a very good segue, I think, to one of my final questions, and that's what gives you hope? Um, I think where like where we're headed so um you know sustainability um biophilic design um how people are realizing that all of these things are important making the connection between that you know good design and how it does affect their overall um health and well-being so i'm all about well-being and I always um, have tried to tie that back to home environments Um, yeah so like your home your environment your the space that you live in the space that you work in has a direct effect on your um, health and well-being so I think what gives me hope is that people are really waking up and starting to understand that and you know healthy homes you know um the building materials that we use, everything like that, people are, are sort of starting to understand that they're very important. There's a growing awareness and now a change yeah. in legislation with engineered stone bench tops yes. being banned to, pr- to protect the workers yeah. from silicosis. Yes. Which yeah. some will argue it's, it's not a matter for regulation, but we've just found that you have to regulate it, don't you, to actually protect workers and protect people's health. Mm-hmm. And it's becoming mm. people are becoming much more aware of these materials mm. and choosing low VOC paint, choosing materials that don't off gas. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Create Be- a healthy home. Healthy home. Yeah. Healthy home. Healthy occupants. So. Yeah. Any final tips for our listeners? Um, I don't know. I think styling. You know, it's. It's just to have fun with it. You know, some people are just – sometimes I'll walk into their homes and they're like, oh, you know, 
I'll put something somewhere and they're like, oh, it looks amazing. And then they, they'll be too scared to move it, you know. That's, put that thing there and it stays there forever. <laughs> so, no, you know, you can switch your art around. You can switch your pieces around. It's like I used to do that when I was a kid in my room. And, you know, it's just it brings new life and new energy to your space. So I think it's don't be scared to have fun with trying different things. And it's not about you have to go out and buy all this new stuff and, you know, do all that. It's like just reshuffle what you have or put things out and take things away and then, you know, you might look around and go, wow, this it feels like a new refreshed space that I'm in. Yeah. So, yeah. Or upcycle, see if you can grab something off Facebook Marketplace. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like if you, if yeah, if you like a project, um, yeah, to absolutely, yeah, upcycle, recycle, um, yeah, have fun, paint something, you know, yeah, why don't, not? Don't be afraid. Yeah. A good note and message for us to end on this evening. Thank yeah. you so much, Michelle. Thanks for, for having me. Thanks, Alana. Thanks for joining me for another evening of Radio Architecture with Alana Rasbash. This live show was broadcast and recorded in the Radio Carrium studio on Bonnarong Country. You can replay the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and supporting Community Radio. Take care. Hey folks, join us at the Radio Carrum Trivia Night on Friday the 1st of March at the Carrum Patterson Lake Sports Pavilion. Tickets are only $25 per person and includes entry into our door prize and a drink on arrival. Wonderful. Don't pass up this opportunity to win bragging rights for the rest of the year and win some fabulous prizes. Tickets are still available at Radio Carum's website, radiocarum.org. We'll see you there, folks.